He is so good. So I was thinking about a story that happened to the disciples where in First Peter and Peter was there for this encounter where Jesus had kind of gone out into the wilderness and people were really interested in Jesus. <laughs> he was doing amazing things and he was saying things that they had never heard before about God and his kingdom and so they were following him. They were looking for him and so there he was out in the out in the boonies, out in the wilderness, and all these people came, thousands and thousands of people, and it was getting late, and the disciples were wondering, man, we need to send these people home because they're hungry, and they're going to need something to eat, and so Jesus does something surprising. He says, he looks at his disciples and says, are you going to give them something to eat? <laughs> and I'm sure the disciples were looking in their pockets and saying, man, we we don't have enough money. It would take a, a half a year working just to get enough bread for all these people. There's, we don't have the resources. It's too much. It's too much. And we have too little. And I think about that story because I think it's indicative of a lot of our, 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 our reality in life. We find ourselves in these circumstances that are too big for us, overwhelming and we have too little resources and we feel like we don't have enough can you relate to that in any of your life I can and so what we learn is Jesus was after so much more than just providing bread for the people he was really after the disciples hearts and so we we find ourselves in those kind of circumstances overwhelming not enough and we often start asking ourselves, am I enough? <laughs> or we start saying, what if? You know, what if something happens? What if this happens? Or, and then we can get anxious and we can worry. So we're in First Peter and First uh, Peter is going to talk about trouble and hardship, anxiety, overwhelming circumstances and our lives but he reminds us of a kind of hope that God can give us because the Bible says God provides hope and he is hope and so Peter wants to share that with us this morning so I'm gonna ask you to stand again as we read the Word of God in respect of what God is saying to us today in first Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 3 through 9 he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. There's so much that I love about being part of Rimrock Church with you. And uh, one of the things I, I, I appreciate so much is that we can do preaching team where uh, we rely on each other and we see God working through others because the reality is you don't need to hear from me. <laughs> I don't have really anything to offer. All I can do is point you to God and His Word because what we most need today is God's Word. He is the life giver. He is the one we most need. <laughs> it is His Word. But one thing I appreciate about in the preaching team as we come together and we learn from each other, one thing that Bill has talked about over the last uh, months as we've uh, talked about the issue of anxiety in our society. And he's made an incredible statement over all the years that he's uh, counseled with people, met with people. Um, he's seen a change because when he first began meeting with people, uh, he said maybe one out of ten struggled with overwhelming anxiety. But now he says at least half, if not more, of all those he see out of the ten are struggling with anxiety. And as I've read about it and researched, the reality is many people are taking notice of this in America, that anxiety levels are increasing. It's becoming a growing problem in our society and our culture. Um, it's the number one mental health diagnosis is anxiety disorders. But beyond that, just in general, people are reporting greater stress, greater anxiety. So how do we live with the kind of hope that Peter's talking about in a world of anxiety? And anxiety is not new. I think people have struggled with anxiety from the very beginning when sin came in the world. Anxiety is not a new thing. But Peter addresses this issue in his letter to the church because I think he probably struggled some with anxiety, with overwhelming circumstances. And so we can relate to that. We can experience that, that reality of in the middle of anxiety, God can show up. And here's what Peter wants to remind us of. Our hope is built on something that God has done in 1 Peter chapter 1. What is it built on? The foundation on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came into this world with a purpose, with a plan to save, to redeem, to rescue humanity. But if you remember, Peter, he followed Jesus for three years. And then he came to the cross. And it felt like, it must have felt devastating for Peter and the disciples because they had poured everything into following Jesus. And here he is, stretched out on a cross, dying. Their king, their lord, their Savior, and they didn't understand. It didn't make sense to them. It was overwhelming. And there was a sense of loss and a sense of darkness. Yet, Peter, as they were hiding away and trying to figure out what is next, they get a report from some women that 
the grave is empty. <laughs> and so Peter goes running with John and they, they run to that tomb and it's empty. The stone has been rolled away and they look around and they wonder, what happened? Where's Jesus? <laughs> and they had forgotten that Jesus had talked about resurrection. And it wasn't until a few days later that Peter encountered the risen Lord. And we are told that Peter says, I have seen him. I have touched him. He ate with him. And so Peter saw Jesus physically resurrected. And that changed everything for Peter. And it changed everything for the disciples because they went from cowering and hiding and wondering to a new boldness, a new life where they said, Jesus is Lord. He conquered death. He is the resurrected King of all things. Come, believe and repent and receive Jesus as Lord. And so Peter went from fear to preaching boldly about the resurrected Christ. In fact, out of the resurrection, every single one of the disciples was willing, and many of them did, lay their lives down. They died for this truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Peter says, this is the foundation of our faith. <laughs> this is where hope comes from because the resurrection changed everything. In fact, he, he uses the word a new birth. There's new life. There's a new reality in the resurrection. And this is where our hope comes from. God is making all things new. And so God is working He's working in our world. He's working in our lives. He's working in our hearts. And what he's doing is he's doing resurrection. <laughs> he's doing resurrection in each of us in the middle of our trials and our difficulties. So what about the trial of anxiety? What about it? What about it do we see in our own lives and the culture around us? I look around and I see a lot of people struggling with too little. We are aware of um, some of the economic changes that have happened in our lifetime, rising health costs and uncertainty in the political realm. And so we have all these things happening and it feels like many people are saying we have too little. Too little. We also look around and we see people struggling with saying we have too much. There's an interesting study I read this week that said as they looked at anxiety levels in Western developed countries and then in poor, less developed countries, what they found is, is the greater the economic material prosperity, the greater anxiety <laughs> that sometimes takes hold of a culture. And, and, and it seems confusing, but we understand that Jesus said material things don't satisfy. They don't address the deepest things of the heart. In fact, the more you have, the more you have to worry about, <laughs> to be anxious about losing or comparing yourself to others. And so anxious anxiety has gripped wealthier cultures, wealthier places. Uh, I like what Pastor Steve Balsley used to say, that there's a trial of prosperity. <laughs> and we see that too much. And probably what I see most as a pastor is re relational anxiety. Relational anxiety. Um, we live in a world where everyone can see everything about other people and they're comparing themselves and they're feeling like they're not enough or they, they feel like other people have it better than them. And so there's a lot of 
of, of angst in, the, in people's hearts about seeing and comparing themselves to others. We see so much of the effects of conflict. Conflict at, at work. Difficulties at work with other people. I talk to soldiers or police officers or teachers or medical people who deal with very difficult situations. There's conflicts in marriage. Conflicts with parents, with their kids. Struggles of, of young people as parents are divorcing as families struggle and all of this produces anxiety and we see it and we feel it and we experience it I would say all of us in this room have had anxious thoughts or anxious circumstances me too <laughs> there was a time in ministry where it was a, a very difficult season of, of conflict and difficulty and I remember in that time, there were times I woke up in the middle of the night and my chest was tight and I could barely breathe because of the anxiety. So what do we do? What do we do because Jesus invites us to not be anxious. In fact, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, we just spent a lot of time there. He said, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry. And then you read Philippians where he says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. So this reality of God inviting us to a place of, of not being anxious and then our own reality of encountering things that cause anxiety in our lives. What do we do? Well, Peter wants to remind us of what God has done in his life and what he's doing in our lives because this isn't just a distant reality we believe that the resurrection of Jesus, the power that was unleashed at the resurrection, is now at work within us. What does Paul say in Romans? That the resurrected power of Christ is in you. <laughs> Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so this isn't a distant reality. This is a personal reality that Jesus has unleashed upon the world. He's released the power of the resurrection into the human story. And so God is taking the difficulty, the darkness, the desperation of our lives and He's using it for a purpose, for a plan to bring about transformation in our lives. I wish I could share so many of the stories that I've encountered as a pastor where people have told me it was in the darkest moment of their life, when they were most desperate, when it seemed like everything was falling apart, that God showed up <laughs> in their lives. And that was the turning point in their lives and their stories. Because when it seemed like all hope was lost, the resurrection power of Jesus showed up and took the darkest, the worst thing in their lives and turned it into something beautiful and glorious and something that God could use for good in their lives and the lives of others. This is what Jesus is doing. He's growing us through the pain and the difficulty and the trials and he's redeeming. <laughs> He's a redeeming God. He's the God who took the slaves of Israel and brought them into the promised land. And that's what it, God is doing in each of our lives. The story of our lives is being written and God is writing a new story with the power of the resurrection. He's taking broken things and making them whole. He's taking hurt things and making them whole and healing. He's taking the dark things and He's bringing light. He's bringing freedom. He's bringing truth into our lives. He's redeeming all things. <laughs> Do you believe that this morning? <laughs> that
that God is redeeming you in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the anxiety, in the middle of the circumstance that you find yourself in. That's what Peter wants to remind us of. At the end of the book, he addresses anxiety specifically in chapter 5, verse 6. And this is what he says. He says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, (laughs) that he may lift you up in due time. And this is what Peter says, cast. He's a good fisherman. He says, cast it out. (laughs) Throw it out. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Throughout this sermon series, we're going to have stories of real people who've gone through real circumstances share the story of hope of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to have Barb Lemon share. And so I want you to watch this this morning. Hi, my name is Barb Lemon, and I was asked to share with you a little about how God has brought blessings out of a recent loss in my life. In February, Pastor Evan Hayes gave a message about a time when the prophet Elijah was extremely depressed, actually asking God to take his life. I think Evan mentioned something about eating a whole can of brownies might help someone who is feeling really sad and crying uncontrollably like I did after seeing my husband go to live with Jesus two and a half years ago. No, he was kidding, of course, but that was some special kind of superfood Elijah was given for sure. There's a song that asks, what if blessings come through raindrops? What if healing comes through tears? What if the trials of this life are his mercies in disguise? I'm actually closer to God now than I was before I lost Bob. Surprisingly, the sorrow and loss are what have done it better than joy ever could. I depend completely on God now, and he never lets me down. He's the perfect best friend in every way. I know he understands and cares because I see him working in my life. He answers my prayers. I talk to him more, and I hear him better because I'm closer to him now. And as Elijah discovered, he speaks in whispers. And I love him more than ever. I'm totally aware of his presence every day. I see more opportunities to bless others and be blessed. And as Dave Westergaard shared recently, some things that happen to me may be used by God to help others going through similar experiences. It is certain trials will come to us all, and we need to be ready when trouble comes. Now is the time we need to be able to answer yes to these questions. Is God good? Does he care? Can I trust him? Does he love me? Can he use this thing in my life that seems bad for some good purpose and his glory? Is he sovereign, all-powerful, completely wise, all-knowing, creator of the universe? Is he here with me wherever I am? God doesn't waste our time in the valleys. He uses it to conform us more to the image of Jesus and strengthen our faith in him and our love for him. I still miss Bob every day. I expect I always will. I still cry, but not as often 
and not as long. And there are things I may just have to leave for my kids to sort through. But God is providing what I need, and he's blessing me in ways I didn't expect. Although our troubles may not seem light and temporary, the Bible tells us, compared to the glory believers look forward to, on a balanced scale, the weight of our troubles isn't much at all. When I asked God to take control of my life and use me for his glory, he took over writing my story. He's not done writing it yet, and I know it never ends because Jesus is my savior, and he has a place reserved for me where I'll be with him forever in eternity. Wow. Can you see, taste, smell, resurrection hope <laughs> and Barb? And so I think back to, uh, I think it was Nick who said a few, a while ago that as Christians we don't say what if, we say even so. Even so. What, even if the worst thing could happen, God can work. God can redeem. God can restore. And so we read what Peter says, humble ourselves. Humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And so Barb said, do we trust him? Do we trust him? That he may lift you up in due time. You see, I think a lot of times we don't get to that step. <laughs> we try to control, we try to work out our own situation, we try to make things happen in our own strength. But Peter says, we must humble ourselves. We must come to the place where we realize God is mighty. That it is his hand that lifts us up. And so then he says, cast all anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. And so it doesn't matter the situation or the circumstance. We're invited to humble ourselves and learn that we can trust God. His purpose, his plan. That he knows the story. He knows your story. He knows your life. And we can't run away or ignore it. We have to see that God is working. He has a plan. And I think the disciples, when they were in that boat after Jesus had fed the 5,000, and they still didn't get it. <laughs> they were still trying to figure out, you know, how can, we, how we, can we take advantage of Jesus making bread for everyone, you know, feeding the world, you know, solving all these problems. And I don't know what their conversation was, but Jesus said, are you so dull? Don't you get it? <laughs> He said, what you most need is not bread. He said, what you most need is me. <laughs> he said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus was enough. And so even though they didn't have enough resources or what they could figure out to fix the situation, they had Jesus with them. <laughs> and Jesus was enough. He was enough more than just one meal to satisfy a hungry stomach what they most needed was Jesus he is enough and that is what we are discovering in the middle of our situations in the middle of our anxiety that Jesus is present he's available and his power his resurrection power is enough for us I love Psalm 139 and I I talked about a time in my life where I felt overwhelmed by anxiety but I came 
to the Psalms because at the Psalms we discover that God is enough. As King David went through very difficult circumstances, he cried out and he humbled himself before God. He was a humble man who understood that he needed God in his life, that God could work in his heart and that God could redeem. He says in one Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. And he's just the verses before this, he was complaining about violent people, evil people that were doing all kinds of evil things. So he had his eyes on the situation, but then he got his eyes off the situation. He got his eyes on God. He fixed his eyes on God. And he says, search me, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you hear the humble posture of King David? <laughs> Instead of fighting and controlling and, and seeking to be better on his own, he opened his heart, his life to God. He allowed God to work in him. And so humility for us, when Peter says to humble ourselves, it's not resignation, it's not fatalism, it's not throwing our hands up. Rather, it's a right understanding of who we are and who God is and understanding God's power, <laughs> understanding His sovereignty, His goodness, His ability to redeem, His ability to work in every situation. And so humility is ultimately about trust, trusting God over everything else, trusting that God will lead us, that He will make a way. And so we're invited to cast, <laughs> to throw our anxiety on Him. He's big enough. He's strong enough. He's powerful enough to work in our stories. I love what it says in Psalm 139, For you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you know that God made you? He knows you completely and that you're wonderfully made in Him? Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me are written in your book. See, God knows your story. He knows the end of it all. <laughs> and it's good. <laughs> he has a good plan. He has a good story for all of us. It's a resurrection story. It's a redeeming story. And so we don't know how it ends yet. But we can trust the one who's writing it. We can trust the one who knows how it's end. And he knew them even before they came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God is with us. He is with you in your story, in the middle of your anxiety. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as I prayed this morning and I was praying for each of you, my, my prayer is that you would know ultimately that God cares. Because <laughs> I don't know the circumstance, I don't know the anxiety that you have in your life, but I know that God cares. <laughs> and I know that He knows you. And He knows what's happening in your life. And I want you to... Uh, understand that not only does he know you and he cares for you but that his powerful resurrection is at work in you <laughs> and that he's going to redeem whatever it is whatever it is that is overwhelming or doesn't feel like you have enough he is enough Jesus is enough